prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you how you have revealed yourself to us through it. God, we thank you that it's true, that we can rely upon it. God, I pray that this morning you would uh, use your word in the lives and hearts of Redstone Church. It's in your name I pray. Amen. It was early Friday morning um, when our Lord and Savior Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea at the time, and he was the one who held the power of life and death. The night before, Jesus had been betrayed by one of his close friends. He had been denied by another publicly. And then he had been interrogated extensively by one of the highest-ranking religious leaders of the time. So as Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asks him a few questions. But before he does that, he goes out and confronts the mob. The mob that had taken Jesus and brought him to his presence. Just wondering, who is this man? Why is he here? They don't really answer the question. They just simply say, we wouldn't have brought you this man if he wasn't guilty, right? So Pilate comes back in and he confronts Jesus and he says, who are you? Why are you here? Why has the mob brought you? And this is Jesus' response. He says, for this reason I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate simply retorts, what is truth? See, this question, what is truth, is very important today. But it's not just today. It's not just 2,000 years ago when Pilate asked Jesus. This has been a question for all of humanity. From the very beginning, even Eve in the garden, when she was tempted by the serpent, this was the question. What is truth? Did God really say? Is that what God meant? Questioning the very words of God. Fast forward to today, we're asking the same question. What is truth? Culture wants you to believe that truth is relative, that you can define it for yourself. Truth is often defined for us by the politics that we align ourselves with. Truth is often defined by the news channel that we watch, by who we follow or subscribe to on social media. But how truth is defined is very important to each one of our lives. So where do you look for truth this morning? When we ask, what is truth? What's your first thought? Where do you go to say, this is truth? See, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. Secondly, we we know that we need that truth. You need the truth that is in the Bible. And third, we believe that the world needs the truth that is in the Bible. 
So let's take a look this morning at our passage. You'll remember this is the same passage we used last week. We're going to have a slightly different focus. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. We'll be reading from verse 10 through 17. Go ahead and stand for the authority of Scripture as we read God's Word together. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now these last two verses will be our focus this morning. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we say together, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. may be seated. So we're left asking, what is truth? It's not a question that we can avoid, even if you wanted to. Even those who don't want to consider what is truth today still have to answer the question. We still define our lives by what we actually believe somewhere deep down that the truth actually is. There has to be an objective truth that we look to somewhere out there. So what defines it for us? What is the source of our truth? What is the very basis of our lives? What is the foundation and where are we looking for it? Because... Where we place the source of our truth is almost as important as the truth itself. Think about this example with me. My wife and I use two different weather apps, right? On our phones, we have different apps, and we look at it, and, oh, what's the weather today? Well, sometimes it's a little bit different. But where we decide to look defines a lot about how we dress for the day, what we can expect. Do we bring an umbrella? So it matters where we source our truth from. The source of truth changes everything about us, changes everything about our lives, changes how we act, how we talk, how we treat others, how we spend our money. The truth is critical to everything about us. And as Christians, we hold that the Bible is the truth about God. The Bible contains the truth that God has revealed to us about himself for the sake of our lives, for the sake of our salvation. 
where do you this morning place the source of your truth? In John 18, 37, the passage that we quoted this morning, as Jesus stands before Pilate, I'll read it again. Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Truth is the very reason that Christ came. He came to reveal to us himself the truth about who he is, the truth about ourselves. Just a chapter before, when Jesus, before he's been betrayed, is praying in the garden. It's called the high priestly prayers. Christ is praying over us, praying over the church, praying for his disciples, crying out to the Father. He says these words, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So as we think about the Bible being the source of our truth, we look to Jesus. Jesus himself is praying to the Father and crying out, saying, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is that truth. We look to the Bible, God's word, as our basis, our source of all truth. So if the Bible is true, where do we get the Bible? Well, we look back to our passage this morning as Paul writes to Timothy. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's an interesting phrase. In the Greek, it's actually just one word. It's a compound word. This is how we get God breathed, breathed out by God. It can also be translated inspired. It's God himself who's speaking it, breathing it out for us. He is the one who gives us scripture. It's the breath of God that you'll remember is what he he breathed into Adam to give him life. And he's breathing into us to give us life through his word, the Bible today. So if you're tracking with me this morning, we've asked what is truth? The source of truth is the Bible, and the source of the Bible is God. So what do we know about God? We know that God is perfect, our God is holy, that he cannot lie. We know that his words are pure and true. In Psalm 1830, it says, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. We can trust this book Because we know who God is. Because God is perfect and he's the one breathing these words of life. We can trust these words. We can live our lives. We can base all of our truth in these words because of who God is. Which brings us to something called the doctrine of inerrancy. This is something that the church has believed for thousands of years. The doctrine of inerrancy simply means this. The Bible, in its original manuscript, contains nothing contrary to fact. There are no errors in the Bible. There are no contradictions. Nothing in this book is contrary to fact. We can believe everything it says. Everything it says. Now, there are plenty of people who would disagree with this claim. 
as uh, some of my research, research showed through this week, some claim that there are somewhere between 800 and 50,000 errors or contradictions in the Bible. That's what's out there. Massive claims about the problems people find in the Bible. They say things like, well, we don't have the original manuscripts. We don't have the actual paper or papyrus that was written on. And there's plenty of good answers for these things. With a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of theology, a little bit of history, we can answer many of these questions. We know that there are over 5,000 manuscripts that historically prove true. When you lay them on top of one another and compare them, we can understand that a lot of these errors were just copy errors or misunderstandings. They all make sense. As you read scripture for yourself, then we can start to answer these people who have issues and see problems and errors in the Bible. It's important not to get overwhelmed by these great numbers of claims about problems people find in Scripture. It's important if you confront something like this to find out exactly what they're saying. Figure out what chapter, what verse, what is the issue. And then study and understand and learn the truth that is in the Bible. If it's not immediately obvious in Scripture on the surface then it might be helpful to go back to the original languages that can shed more light on what the Bible is talking about. We also have 2,000 years of church history to lean upon. See, the problems that people have with the Bible, the perceived issues and errors that people claim to find, they're nothing new. People have been claiming this for 2,000 years. There have been people who don't believe for all of time. But I would suggest that if you have questions, study it for yourself. Talk to one of the pastors. Look into it. Don't just fall into the trap of easily disbelieving what the, what the world is claiming to be true. So how did we get the doctrine of inerrancy? Well, it's pretty simple, really. As we read through Scripture and we understand who God is, we read what it says, it affirms itself. The Bible says that it's true. The Bible says that God is perfect, that He doesn't make mistakes. So Scripture can be relied upon because it says so. Now, here comes another issue that we find. Isn't that just circular reasoning? The Bible says it's true, so it's true. I have a three-year-old, a three-year-old at home, and uh, I would say daily he comes up to me and says, Hey, Daddy, I'm a dinosaur. He's not actually a dinosaur, just because he says so. But he says, and I say, Why, why are you a dinosaur today? Well, because I'm a dinosaur. No, but why are you a dinosaur? Because I'm a dinosaur. And we go around and round. It's this circular reasoning. The Bible says it's true, So I believe it's true, because it says it's true. So is this an issue? Everyone has a highest authority at some point. I don't believe that my son is a dinosaur, because he's not the highest authority on his identity. 
See, when we disbelieve the Bible, we're putting a higher authority in ourselves rather than who God says he is. When we disbelieve God himself, we are saying that there is something bigger, greater, and more true than God himself. See, everyone does this. At some point, you have to go back and say, but why? Why do you believe this? Why do you hold this to be true? And it has to be put up somewhere, a higher, higher authority on something else that you believe to be most true. There has to be a source of truth. Looking into the doctrine of inerrancy is a wonderful academic endeavor that I would encourage all of you to look into. However, it also requires faith. Everyone at some point has to decide what is true and what is false. They have to decide who is going to have the highest authority in their lives. Is the highest authority in your life going to be yourself? Or something you read online? Some YouTube video? I would encourage you this morning to consider the weight of this. How important is it to understand where the source of your truth is? This is a matter of eternity. If you're going to place your hope, the basis of your life in something, it's worth giving some thought and study and prayer to. This brings me to my second point this morning, that you need the truth of the Bible. So what do we do with an inerrant Bible? If a perfect God has given us a perfect book, do we really trust this thing? Do we read it? Do we use it? Are you letting this have the highest authority in your daily life? Paul reminds us of the origin of the Bible as being breathed out by God, but he also says what it's good for. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but it is very helpful, especially in this context. So he says here in verse 16, he says that, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, or another translation says competent, that the person of God may be equipped for every good work. See, it's not just truth, but it does something for us. It works in us. It moves in us. If this Bible is inerrant, if it holds that much authority in our lives, then it's going to change the way we live. If we remember the context of 2 Timothy, that it's a letter from Paul to his spiritual son, the man Timothy, who's been discipling, who's been walking alongside him, who's traveled on these journeys planting churches. Paul is talking to Timothy as his son, reminding him even of the love and teaching of his mother and of his grandmother, and of even 
his own teaching, of Paul's teaching to Timothy. All how Timothy can be grown up and matured in the faith. And we see the same theme in these words, right? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These are all maturing words. These are all words that draw Timothy into Scripture, seeing that all of this teaching I got from my parents, all of this teaching I got from Paul, this is all maturing me, but it's from Scripture. Paul is telling Timothy that the Bible is the place that we mature. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says this, speaking the truth, the Bible, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Scripture is the only training ground for spiritual maturity. Scripture is the place that we look to to learn about the character of Christ and be molded and shaped and matured into Christ's image. See, without the Bible, we would be left wandering around without truth. I mean, just look around at the world today, those who don't have truth, those who are trying to figure it out without the Bible. Just imagine this. If you didn't have truth, imagine that you left your toddler at the Johnson City Mall this afternoon. Just let him wander into the stores and said, all right, buddy, figure it out. You, you probably can figure it out. You know what to do, right? You know where the bathroom is, the food court, the stores where you can buy what you need. You know what to do, right? Without some sort of guidance, without some sort of parenting, correction, reproof, or training, my son would probably end up in the bathroom eating gum off the floors. I mean, let's be honest. Without the truth of the Bible, we wander around this world looking for something to live by, looking for something to do, looking for some sort of meaning, something substantive to live by, and we end up with trash. When Chick-fil-A was right around the corner. I mean, the Bible is something so good and so rich that as we read it, we learn who God is. We learn how good it is for us when it trains us and corrects us and teaches us to be more like Christ. It's not just a bunch of rules. It's not a God who looks at us and tells us we're wrong. It's a God who loves us, who draws us to himself and grows us up and matures us into the image of his son. Without the Bible and the message of grace that it contains, we would be lost and without hope, despairing in this world. See, the Bible contains truth. The Bible contains truth about who God is as creator, as a holy, holy God, as just, as loving and merciful, forgiving, It's the truth about who we are as sinners in need of a Savior. The truth about Jesus, God's own Son, who bore the punishment that we deserved. You need this truth. You need the truth of the Bible this morning. So read it. 
Study it daily. Memorize it. Talk to others about it. Meditate on it. Chew through the words. Think about the stories. Let it wash over you. Sing the songs in Scripture. Soak up the Bible. You need the truth of the Bible today. But it's not just you who needs the truth of the Bible. The world needs this truth. As we get the word inside of us, we're transformed by it. We're motivated to go out and tell the whole world about the truth that's in here so that they don't wander around without the truth. We're motivated to accomplish God's mission. Just look at verse 17 here. Paul says that the man of God or the person of God may be complete, competent, equipped for every good work. It doesn't leave us to just hear the word and think, that's great. We're equipped. We're competent. We're supposed to go out and do something with this. James 1.21, I love how the NIV puts it. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we think back to the example of the weatherman, if we had an inerrant weatherman, can you imagine that? Somebody who never got it wrong. But if we didn't listen to him and just ignore it, that wouldn't be very helpful. If he says it's going to rain and we don't bring an umbrella, what good is reading it? If we read the Bible, if we come to church, if we study it, you listen to sermons online all the time and don't apply it and do something with it, what good is it to you? Paul says that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. So go and do something with this. If you remember what Jesus said in the parable of the house built on the rock, he says... Those who hear my words and do them, their house is built on a rock. But those who hear my word, they're still hearing my words, but aren't doing it. Those are the people whose house is built on sand. And when the storm comes and the waters rise, they're washed away. They lose everything. Don't be someone who reads the Bible, understands the Bible, studies the Bible, and doesn't do something with it. See, our world is void of truth. We hear lies daily. Scripture teaches us that our world is the domain of the enemy. That he rules here. He's a lion prowling around. He's the father of lies. It doesn't take much to spot a lie in today's culture, does it? Between sensational news Ads on social media, we're just bombarded constantly with lies. Between false religions, false identities, false hopes on earthly kingdoms, we are constantly pushed lies. Lies that cause division and distrust and hate. People's lives who are built on the lies of the devil 
and not the truth of Scripture will be torn apart when any sort of calamity arises in their life. People don't, who don't have the words of hope, the message of grace in Scripture, what happens when something happens? What, what happens when they lose a job? What happens when their marriage falls apart? Where do they turn? There's nothing left when you don't have the truth of Scripture. Without the truth of the Bible, without the message of the gospel, without the hope of Jesus, without the grace that it offers, the world continues to believe the terrible lies of the enemy and will suffer an eternity apart from the presence of our God. The world needs the truth of Scripture. But maybe saying the world is a little bit too broad or too generic. Maybe it feels impersonal. That's easy to throw around. Church, your neighbor needs the truth of Scripture. Your librarian needs the truth of Scripture. Your waitress needs the truth of Scripture. Your classmates and co-workers need the truth of Scripture. Our world needs the truth of Scripture, and not proclaiming the truth is not an option for us. We have been equipped by God's Word. See, Paul doesn't finish his letter to Timothy in, verse, or in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he continues like this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, we can't just know the Bible. We can't just simply believe that it's true. We have to be transformed by it. We have to proclaim it. We have to be transformed by the grace but we have to be motivated outwards toward others. Do the work of an evangelist. Be equipped, be completed by the truth of the Bible. So as you soak in the word, as you read the Bible, as the Spirit is in you and working through you, training you, rebuking you, correcting you, Trust that the Spirit is there. Trust that God will give you competency, will give you confidence, completeness, that you will be equipped and motivated. As you consider the Bible, ask yourself, 
do I actually give this the highest authority in my life? Or am I judging this against something else that I think in my own heart is more important or more true? What is your hope in this morning? Is your hope in the truth of the Bible? Or is it in your own good works? Do you trust God's grace is enough for you? Before we go to a time of communion this morning, I want us to uh, just take a moment and confess before the Lord some of our insufficiencies or the ways we disbelieve God. So if you will, just bow your heads with me and, and pray. I'll lead us in this time of confession. Father, we thank you for your son who came for us even while we were still enemies. Jesus, that you died for us. God, I thank you that you chose to reveal yourself through your word. God, that we can learn about you, be transformed by your words. God, I pray now that we would confess to you the ways that we disbelieve you. God, we confess that sometimes we struggle to believe that the Bible is true. We might even struggle to believe that there is a God sometimes, or that you're good, or that you love us. God, we, we struggle to believe that there's hope. God, as we confess this, help us to cry out. I believe. Help my unbelief. Confess your insufficiency to God this morning. Maybe you've been trying so hard, but you still don't feel like you measure up. Maybe you've been trying to kick that addiction, but just can't. Maybe you feel like you don't have anything to add or contribute. Confess back to God his sufficiency and the finished work of Christ on the cross, his power to break chains. Confess to God this morning how we deny him in front of others. Confess your failure to live truthfully before others. Your hesitancy to be identified as a follower of Jesus. Confess the ways that you deny the power of the Spirit to change you. But remember Christ's love and grace and forgiveness. Finally, this morning, confess your fear before the Lord. Fear of being rejected. Fear of what God is calling you to. Fear of what the Christian life might require. Fear of the culture. Fear of the future. 
remember Christ's boldness and strength and power and his control and be strengthened and emboldened by our Savior. Come honestly before the Lord this morning. Father, you promise to forgive our sins. God, you offer us grace so free. Would we accept it this morning? Would we be transformed by your word? Would we be motivated to go out from here and live as lights before the world? morning we approach the table remembering what Christ has done for us on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this is the cup the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So if you're following Christ this morning, if you trust Christ as your Savior, come and take taste and see what the Lord has done for you. There are four stations this morning, two in the front and two in the back. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and stand and receive the elements.